Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Amen and amen. And just so you know that this is not an emotion-driven response, we're going to look to God's word to inform everything that we say this morning. One of, one of the passages of scripture that I visit often, uh, multiple times every year, uh, it's one of those life passages for me is Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse number 10. Uh, and that's where we're going to begin because I believe there are instructions. I be, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse number 9. Baby, can I borrow your Bible? Pastor didn't bring his Bible this morning. Help us, Lord. Which translation is this, baby? New King James, perfect. That's my jam. New King James. Amen. Thank you, Father. Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin reading at verse number 9. Christ-like response to a broken world. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, and, and it's important to understand that these are the epistles of Paul, or at least this is one of Paul's epistles. These were letters written to churches, and they were written to specific churches, usually in response to questions that were submitted to Paul, who was the church planter who had planted uh, most of these churches. And where there was controversy or conflict or uncertainty, those questions would be sent to Paul. And then in response to those questions, Paul would often write a letter, which we refer to as an epistle. And sometimes he wrote these epistles not only in response to the challenges they were facing in these churches, but he also wrote these epistles, these letters, as words of admonition, as words of encouragement to these churches that he had planted as a loving father would correspond with his children. So he's not always correcting them. Sometimes he's just encouraging them. Sometimes he's just exhorting them. These letters then would be distributed to other churches in the region, and eventually these letters became doctrine for the early church. It became a code of conduct for the early church. And here in Romans chapter 12, Beginning at verse number nine, he's giving these words of admonition and he's instructing this fairly new church that is in Rome, which is the seat of Roman power that had a whole lot of issues. He's giving them instructions on what it looks like to be Christ-like in a broken world, in an imperfect world. And he says a whole lot of things beginning in verse 1 about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, about renewing our minds. And then he gets very practical starting in verse number 9. Are you with me? Amen. Verse number 9 reads, let love be without hypocrisy. Let, Let your love one for another be without pretense. Let the way you interact with each other be without a mask. Let your love one for another be genuine. Quit acting, quit pretending, and genuinely love the people around you. In fact, here's why that's important. Because in 1 John, John writes these words and he says, how can you and I claim to love a God we've never seen if we can't even love our brother who we have seen? And then it goes further and he says, we shut up our bowels of compassion. You know what that means? It means that you voluntarily turn the switch off depending on who you talk to. 
That means if I see Pastor Jesse, I turn the faucet wide open. But when I see Damon coming, I voluntarily cut it off. You know what that means? That means love is a verb and you have a choice in who you love. Because I can love my wife and I can love Jesse and then almost in the same breath despise someone else. We can turn it on and turn it off. And Paul is saying, in a broken world, our love one for another should be without pretense, without falsehood, without hypocrisy. It should be genuine. It should be without condition. I should love you not because you look like me, not because you talk like me, not because you agree with me, but because you are an image bearer of God. The problem is we have allowed culture to transcend the word of God. And we have limited our ability to love others based on what culture has taught us. But how many of you realize all your skin folk ain't your kinfolk? you don't believe me, go to your family reunion. Are y'all with me? Let love be without hypocrisy. But this is where I want to land in the second half of that verse. And notice what it says. It says abhor. That is, that is a fancy uh, old English word that means hate. How many of you realize this morning, City Church, that God has given each of us permission to hate some things? He has given you and me permission to despise some things. He has given us permission to resent some things. Have you ever heard the, the, the old statement, God don't like ugly? Mm -hmm. Notice what he says that we should hate. Hate what is evil. Hate it. Don't entertain it. Don't tolerate evil in any of its forms and manifestations. Because what you tolerate, you cannot change. If it's evil, if it's not right, God said, hate it. In the Old Testament, he says, cry out against it. End your silence about what is evil. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. And we are supposed to hate it and cry out against it. Am I making this up or is that in the Bible? And the problem is that the church has become indifferent about things that should matter to us. And Dr. King said it eloquently when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Let me tell you the problem with most people, including Christians. It ain't a problem until it's happening in my house. And we go through life indifferent to the injustices and the wrongdoings that exists in our world, and Jesus said, or, or Paul writes, 
in verse 9, if it's evil, hate it. And I know human nature enough to know that the things that we hate, we speak out against. So this is why I want to land. He says two things. Don't only hate what's evil. He says cling. Hold fast to what is good. Almost, but in the same sentence almost, he says, he creates this tension between hating something and holding fast to something. One of the things that blew my mind as I was observing Facebook posts and social media posts and people posting Brant Jean or Brant Jean's response to Amber Geiger, uh, there were people who were celebrating this incredible demonstration of grace and mercy. But at the same time, there were people who were mad. That this young man forgave the police officer who shot his brother. There were people who were mad at this young man and people who were mad at those who were celebrating and announcing this young man's demonstration of courage and mercy and grace. And why is that? Let me tell you why that is. Those two emotions are not one and the same. What people were really mad at was not necessarily Brant's demonstration of grace and mercy. What they were crying out for was justice that they thought was not served. And some of them confused the two. Are y'all listening to me? And on the one hand, if you're crying out for justice when an injustice has been done, you're doing exactly what the scripture said. If an injustice has been done, hate the injustice. Now let me talk, tell you about what I'm talking about injustice. This is what injustice looks like. This is what injustice looks like. People who are sent to prison and given a maximum sentence for a nonviolent offense. That is injustice. And that should make everybody in this room who is a Christ follower upset. And likewise, when someone who commits a violent offense gets a slap on the wrist, that should make you mad too. Because it reveals an imbalance in the system. It is unjust it is not right, and it is ungodly. It should make you mad. The flip side is we're supposed to cling to what is good. Is mercy good? Is grace good? We cling to that. Because that young man in a few minutes was bigger than most of us will ever be. Some of us holding on to an offense because of something somebody said to you and they didn't even realize what they said. 10 years later, they still hold, and this young man's brother was killed while eating ice cream in his own apartment. And he still had the spiritual and emotional fortitude to forgive his brother's killer. 
And you still holding on to what Aunt Gifty did to you 25 years ago. No, our Christ-like response is to hate what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Notice what Dr. King said. He says the church, listen to me, the church. He's talking to the church. He says the church must be reminded because how soon we forget. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, but never its tool. I wish some of my evangelical brothers would hear that right now. That we are supposed to be both the guide and the critic of the state, but never its tool. Notice what he says further. If the church, listen to me, does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. So how do we, how do we, in fact, before I go any further, let me give you Bible. There are at least two things. There's so many more things. I'm just going to give you two. Just two, two things, two things that we should hate because they're evil. Number one, hate injustice. Hate injustice. Job chapter 35 and verse 9 says, because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. Listen to me. Listen to me. Multitude of oppressions. There, there, there is a suppressed frustration that people feel in this nation because of a multitude of oppressions. And as a result, people are crying out for justice. For justice. For justice. Just do what is right and what is fair under the circumstances. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. Why are people crying out? Because those in authority and those in power are abusing them. And the systems that were designed to protect them. And there is an outcry against it. Uh, Here's the second thing. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2. Most of us quote Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, where, where, where Habakkuk is talking about vision, write the vision and make it plain. Most of us don't realize that Habakkuk writes those words, or God gives Habakkuk that instruction in response to Habakkuk's prayer. But what was Habakkuk's prayer about? Habakkuk's prayer to God was about injustice. In chapter 1 and verse 2 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is frustrated and said, Lord, how long am I going to cry? And you ain't going to hear. Even cry out to you violence and you won't save. He's crying out against injustice. He says, God, how long are you going to let this wickedness continue? 
Because if we want to follow Jesus, we have to hate what is evil. Not tolerate it, not encourage it, not turn a blind eye to it. Hate it. Hate evil. Hate it. Uh, uh, notice, notice what he says next. These are the words of Jesus. Oh, a pastor read that Old Testament and we're not under the law. But here are Jesus' words now. These are the words in red. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. He's talking to church folk, religious folk. Remember we said, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, all it will be is an irrelevant social club. Jesus is talking to an irrelevant social club that had lost its prophetic zeal. He's talking to Pharisees and Sadducees who looked the part and acted the part, but had lost their prophetic zeal. And notice what he says to them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why is he rebuking them? He said, man, y'all good at paying your tithes. Listen, on mint, anybody know what mint is? Just that little leaf? And they were so legalistic that if they had mint, they would tithe on the mint. And they would tithe on the anise. And they would tithe on the cumin. They were so legalistic about little things that they were distracted from what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law. Let me tell you, we're so focused on what happens inside the four walls of the church. Pay your tithe, pray fast, memorize your scripture. And Jesus says you have neglected the weightier matters. That means if you were to put these two things on the scale, hmm, all the stuff that we put emphasis on, even though they are important, the scale would be tipped toward justice. I know you're tithing. I know you pray. I know you read your scripture. I know you lead worship, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And the first on that list, justice. Okay. Hate what is evil. So hate injustice. Cry out against it. Cry out against it. Because there are some things in life that a Bible and a prayer can't fix. Listen to me. Jesus turned to the, the, the thief on the cross and he says, your sins are forgiven. This day you'll be in paradise. It didn't take him off the cross though. If, if, if forgiveness and mercy is all that there is, we might as well just shut down every prison, open the doors and let every offender out now. Did y'all hear that? If the only response for Christians is mercy and forgiveness every single time, then let's, let's just let everybody out. Let's just right now forgive OJ and R. Kelly right now. 
because people cried out against OJ, who was found not guilty by the sister. I ain't never seen Nicole Brown's sister forgive him. And the system found him not guilty. I'm defending the man. I'm just talking about those of us who think that crying out for justice is a bad thing. If that were the case, let's just close down every courthouse and let just everybody do whatever they want to do all the time and let's just give them a Bible and forgive them. No, the scripture says, hate what is evil. And he says, Jesus, who loved everybody, said that we, the church, have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Number one, justice. Now, um, I got to be careful here. Because I know how it is. I know how human beings are. Because when it's me and mine, I want mercy. When it's they and them, I want justice. That's why Jesus says, this thing ain't one-sided. If it's evil, hate it. But if it's good, cling to it. And that's why when Jesus said you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, he says justice. What's the next word? Mercy. There's this tension between justice and mercy. And there is an outcry. Of frustration. One time, we don't talk about this stuff around, but were you with Levi or was I with Levi? And we got stopped by the police and Levi started crying. It was you. Why, why, and Levi was, Levi's 10 on Tuesday, but he was probably six, maybe seven. He was eight. Why should an eight-year-old cry when the police show up? Let me tell you something. I have never, can I just say this? Can I just say this? I have never had one bad experience with the police ever in my life. Y'all know I'm from Liberia. I've lived here in the States for 20, 20, 93, 26 years. I have been stopped by the police multiple times for speeding. (laughs) Tell the truth, shame the devil, come on. For speeding. And one time, I don't even know how this dude knew it, man. But I was zipping down 380 one time, and he was kind of like, was it 380 or somewhere? And uh, it was like he was sitting in the median. And I don't know, man, he, he turned around. But the reason he stopped me, I was zipping, but I wasn't over the speed limit. But he stopped me for it, um, my registration. I, I didn't, I didn't uh, renew my sticker. It was like I, just by one day. Yeah, the tags, right? Yeah, so, oh, so they have a tag reader. They're not reading my tags while I'm driving fast. They have a tag reader. Some of them are. Okay, so, yeah, so never, I have never, 
I have never had a bad experience with a police officer. But there are some who have. Many times. No one's experience with a law enforcement officer should be that of fear. When I see police coming, my response should never be fear. And there are people sitting in this room right now who are saying, I'm never afraid when the police come. But there are many people around you who are. And that is unjust. For anybody to live in a city, to live in a state, to live in a country where my response when I see the police coming is fear. And there are people who are oblivious to that because you have never had such an experience. The police is your friend. But for most people, that is not their history and it's not their reality. We need to cry out against it. It is unjust. It is unjust. Are y'all with me? Okay, I'm about to wrap up. Dr. King again famously said, injustice anywhere, y'all. Not just at your house, but at Botham Jean's apartment, at Tatiana Jefferson's house, injustice there, as far removed from their homes as you may be, is a threat to justice anywhere. It's a threat to justice in McKinney. It's a threat to justice in Frisco. It's a threat to justice in Plano. It's not okay. It is not okay. And if this officer whose name has not been revealed has a strong lawyer, uh, the frustration for most people is this woman was sitting in her house, this dude shot into the house, gave her less than four seconds to respond and killed her in her house. And then they're talking about a perceived threat. Okay. No, hate what is evil. Hate it. There is nothing okay about that. Listen to what I'm saying. Y'all haven't heard me utter the word race one time. Even if the motivation behind shooting into that house was his, not motivation, but the reason was incompetence. He still need to be sat down. And he still needs to pay the price. Y'all not listening to what I'm saying? Listen to me. There used to be a time when your home was your sanctuary. How people just going to be rolling up in your house and killing you while you're eating ice cream and playing video games? Now, there used to be a time when schools were safe for our kids. I can't even send my kids to school. I can't even sit in my own house. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold up, man. You want me to tell me I can't even go get some Bluebell at Walmart without somebody showing up and shooting up the place? It's a problem. And we should speak out against injustice. Let me tell you something else that God hates. Injustice, God hates. We've already established. Can I tell you something else that God hates? 
God hates double standards. Notice what the scripture says now. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Dishonored scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You say, Pastor, I don't understand that. So, so in Old Testament times, uh, people in the market, if they were selling something, uh, they would have their scales, and you paid for stuff by the weight. And if I saw Wendy coming and she looked like she had a lot of money, I would tip the scales a little bit. So I would give her less of what she wanted, but she would pay more. And if my friend was coming, I'd tip the scale a little bit this way, and I would change the standards de- depending on who I was interacting with. Listen, there's a, only a few things in the scripture that the scripture says God calls an abomination. That right there, double standards? We talk about the stuff that burned down Sodom and Gomorrah. God called what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah an abomination. Right there up on that list, with how they were getting down freaky deaky in Sodom and Gomorrah is your double standards. God hates it. So if I treat one person this way with the legal system, with law enforcement, and then somebody else come and I, I tip the scale and I treat them differently, God hates it. And he says you and I should hate it too. We should hate what is evil. What God calls evil is evil. Okay? (sighs) Notice how the the message translation, it says God hates cheating in the marketplace. Can Can I just go, it's not just in the marketplace, it's in politics, it's in law enforcement, it's in our court systems, it's in our universities, it's everywhere. He hates cheating. He loves for everything we do to be above board. All right. So I don't talk enough. Have I talked enough about what we should hate? Again, we should be known more for what we are for than what we are against. The church should. But this is a conversation that we don't have in most churches about hating what is evil. All we talk about is, oh, forgive, forgive. Yeah, yeah. But we're also supposed to hate what is evil. Injustice and double standards. Cry out against it. Cry out against it next year when you vote. If you vote, that's part of the problem. Listen to me. What you tolerate, I said it just now, what you tolerate you can't change. So don't complain about what you allow. So if you don't go vote, be quiet because you allowed it. So shut your mouth. Okay. All righty. Let, let me wrap up. Y'all ready for me to wrap up? No, I'm about to wrap up. So, um, uh, we're not only supposed to hate what's evil. Hold fast to what is good. If it's good, hold fast to it. Here it is. So, so, so here's Bible. Here, here's what the scripture says. Romans, Romans chapter 12. Uh, uh, where are we? Romans chapter 12. I'm going to jump through a couple of verses. Uh, let me just read it and you'll follow along. Okay? Uh, let me pick up at verse number 
Oh, here it is, verse number 14, Romans 12, verse 14. Ha! It says, bless those who persecute you. Lord, have mercy. Bless them. And he said, just in case you didn't understand what I meant, he said, bless them, don't curse them. Hold up, this person persecuting me, treating me wrong, undermining me, and my Christ-like response is to bless them and not curse them? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody know what that word bless means? It, it comes from a Greek word, eulageo, where we get the word eulogy, which means to speak well of. I ain't never heard nobody saying nothing bad about a dead person. Well, at the funeral at least. Maybe, yeah, maybe at the repast. In the corner, y'all know y'all be sipping that coffee. Well, you sipping coffee, but you getting the tea. That's what we do at the funeral. We eulogize them. Listen, the scripture says, this is how I, this is how I hold fast to what is good. I speak well of, I eulogize the person that's got a knife in my back. Woo! Now, listen, listen, listen. This thing called following Jesus is for the grown. Right? Okay. Uh, so if I'm going to hold fast, I got to bless the, wow. Number two, he says, ah, man, repay no one evil for evil. Woo! This tit for tat Christianity is gonna take us out, man. It's gonna take us out. And that's why Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. How do I hold fast? I repay no one evil for evil. Ah, man, they got me, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to get them back. They got me, I'm going to get them back. They got me. Jesus says, and we're going to get to the why. This is so, this is so sweet. We're going to get to why we're supposed to do it. Uh, in fact, here it is, here it is. Ooh, I skipped over something. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know why I said that in verse 15? is because what's happening in your house should affect me in my house. Listen to me. That's what community looks like. That when a Tatiana Jefferson, halfway across the city in Fort Worth, when they're weeping in her house, it should affect what's happening in my house. And Nia was sitting at the bar in the living room, and, and I was in there, and I was waiting, man, for the news to come on, the local news. They had a uh, maybe football game on or baseball, and, and as soon as it came on, man, I said, Nia, stop what you're doing. Let's watch this together. Because when the scripture says, bear one another's burdens. That's why the scripture says, when Job's friends heard what had happened, Listen, when you read the text, it says they left where they were and they came to where he was, Lord have mercy, and they sat with him. 
for seven days and no one uttered a word. Because what is happening in your house should touch what's happening in my house. Mm, that's how we hold fast to what is good. Here it is. Here's why, if we keep this in mind, here's why we are able to bless those who persecute us. Here's why we don't have to return evil for evil. Here's why, here's why, here's why. Eh, easier said than done. Oh, oh here's another one. Here, here, here. Verse 18, if it is possible. Listen, it's not always possible. But if it is possible, because some people just honor it. But if it is possible, listen, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are some people, it's just impossible. But if the relationship and the friendship and the interaction doesn't work, let it not be because of you. As much as it depends on you. Notice what it says, live peaceably with people who look like you who talk like you, who believe like you do, who shop where you do. Live peaceably with all men. I'm talking about holding fast to what is good. Look, 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 look. And I'm talking about dealing with the prejudice in our own heart. Yeesh. I know Coquetzo preached about Jonah, but Jonah had to deal with the prejudice in his heart. He was a prophet of God, an outspeaker of God, but he hated the Assyrians. And y'all heard me say it two weeks ago, how many of you realize that God loves people you hate? You hate them, want to kill them, want them to die. God loves them. All right. Here's why I won't close. Did I say that already? No, y'all didn't hear me right. I said, I'm getting close. <laughs> There's a difference. I'm getting close. I didn't say I was going to close. I said, I'm getting close to the end. No, okay. No, for real, though. For real. Um, oh. Oh, y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? This is why. This is why. This is why. Hey, verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, <laughs> but rather give place to wrath. Listen, listen. One translation says, but give it all to God. Listen, listen. The reason sometimes God can't get involved is because you in charge. When an injustice has been done against you, to you, toward you, the hardest thing is to just take your hands off it and say, God, I know you're going to fight my battle. Listen, we sang the song, what a mighty God we serve, and he's fighting for us. Come on, we can sing the lyrics, but how many of us are willing to take our hands off it after we've been misused, mistreated, shot in your own house to say, God, I ain't going to avenge myself. I'm going to take my hands off it, and however you choose to do it. God is saying, make room. Make room for me to make it right. 
The problem with why this thing ain't been made right is because you constantly poking at it and making it worse. So listen to what he said. Listen to what God said. He said, vengeance is mine. He says, you're stepping into my territory. Get out the way, son. Get out the way, baby girl. Vengeance is reserved exclusively for me. It's mine. It's my prerogative. Come on, Lord. Get your hands out of the vengeance business. Listen to what God said. He says, I will repay. Leave them alone. Bless them. And let God deal with them. Are y'all hearing what the Lord said this morning? Let God deal with them. Let God make it right. Let God make it right. Let God make it right. And notice what he said. He said, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Heesh. When that young man got out his seat, out his chair, from behind the witness stand, and walked over to that young lady and hugged her. Now, people couldn't handle that because they wanted justice. But those are two lanes. There's a justice lane and cry out for justice. <laughs> but we got to learn to cling to what is good. And that's the mercy lane. Don't let your need for justice rob you of showing mercy. Listen, it says when your enemy is hungry, feed him. Heesh. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That young man said, look, I wish you didn't even have to go to jail. And that's his brother who got shot. And y'all ain't know these people from Adam and y'all mad at the young man for forgiving the woman? Listen to what it says. For in so doing, when you get up from that witness stand, I'm talking about your own witness stand where you're sitting right now every day in your house with that person who's wronged you in that such situation or circumstance where you feel you didn't get justice. When you get up from the witness stand and testify and you go and hug them and forgive them, let me tell you what the scriptures say you're doing. It says, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Now, most pastors, most preachers will say, ooh, I'm going to make them burn inside when I do this. No. The word picture there is that of the high priest entering the temple and taking incense and placing it on the coals of fire in the temple. And the incense that's on the coals rising up to heaven as a sweet-smelling savor. It is an act of worship that the high priest performed, that when they came to offer sacrifices, it was always preceded with the incense on the coals as a sweet-smelling sacrifice of worship unto God. Listen, God is saying, <laughs> when you get off your witness stand and feed your enemy and give him something to drink, it is an act of worship to me. It ain't about them. It is about you and me. 
Here it is, verse 21. Do not be overcome with evil. Ooh, don't be overcome with evil. I'm telling y'all, the more, the more you let this stuff linger and creep up in you, that's why it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I know you're mad today, but don't be mad tomorrow because what you're doing is you're giving that thing a foothold. And pretty soon you will be overcome with evil. Listen, listen, I call it comic book theology. Every villain started out as a victim. Every comic book you read, every bad guy started out as a victim. Somebody teased him. Somebody did something wrong to him. If you go watch the Joker movie, I haven't seen it. But the whole synopsis is he was a bad comedian and people made fun of him. And people who don't deal with their pain make life painful for others. Because every victim, every villain starts out as a victim who didn't deal with their pain. So the scripture says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Eclipse evil with good. Here's, yes, thank you, T-Ross. Here's why we can do it. Here's why we can do it. Uh, put Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 on the screen if you can. Here's why we can do it. Thank you, baby, for letting me borrow your Bible. He's not asking us to do any of this in our own strength. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Because if we could do this in our own strength, maybe 14. 14, maybe. Or 13. I should have kept your Bible, baby. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Philippians. No, give me Bible, Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Gave me the electronic uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. This is where we're going to close, for real, for real. Like, for real, for real. No, yes, this is where we're going to close. Oh, I just saw the time. Okay, this is where we're going to close. Philippians chapter 2, whatever the verse is, this is what it says. It's Philippians, either 13, 14, 13 or 14. This is what it says. God is at work in us. There it is. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. All you and I have to do is yield to what God is already doing. He is already at work in me for me to will it. That means to have the want to and to do it, the follow through to actually feed those who mistreat me, to give them something to drink. God is at work in me, in you right now to do hard things. And this is why. Whether you're in the justice lane or you're in the mercy lane, James chapter 2, and this is where I close, I promise you, James chapter 2 and verse 13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah, we can fight for justice and that's necessary. Fight for justice against evil. But ultimately, ultimately, in the end of things, at the end of it all, mercy triumphs over our need for judgment and our need for justice. Make them pay, Lord, make them pay. 
Yet the scripture says in Ephesians 3 and 20, uh, 4 and 32 that we ought to be kind and tenderhearted one to another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave us. How should I forgive Amber Geiger? Just as God forgave me. When it's everybody else, we want them, we want judgment. But when it's us, we want mercy. And Ephesians 4.32 says, we forgive to the same degree that we've been forgiven. So he levels the playing field and he says, I know you're pointing a finger of judgment at these people. How many you got pointing back at you? Three fingers of judgment. Yet you're asking God for mercy. So, Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text City Church TV and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.